Go with me to Colossians and chapter 1. This is one of these short epistles that is jammed packed. Uh, If you've read the epistles, which I'm sure you have at least looked over them, and most of you read them, uh, Paul is quite difficult sometimes in, in, in these epistles. Difficult, I mean, to follow. Uh, he has lots of, lots of grammatical things going on here. If you ever tried to interpret an epistle, it's not like interpreting uh, narrative. Narrative is a little easier. Psalms are a little easier. But the epistles are kind of tough. And uh, this one is really no different. Uh, when you're talking about God, however, I found it fascinating. Because, you know, I teach on, on the side and I've taught youth groups and so on and so forth. People want everything easy and simple and yet, when you come to God, I'm thinking, that's almost oxymoronic, isn't it? I mean, if you think that chemistry is difficult, or biology is hard, or languages are impossible, I mean, God's the one who created all of them. Why would we come to Him and say, oh yeah, it ought to all be simple. It ought to be one, two, three, and we're done. No, not quite. He's the one who created all the physics in our world. He is quite complex. Uh, and so we, should, we shouldn't shy away from, be scared of big terms. <laughs> there are big terms in the Bible. Preeminence, you know, atonement, like we've talked about. Uh, and so, when we come to Colossians, Paul says some of the highest things possible about Jesus Christ. Some of the strongest words we have in all of the Bible about Jesus is found right here in Colossians 1. Let's begin reading here with verse 15. Talking about Jesus, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." And then over to 2 and verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him. 
Again, talking about Jesus. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. (laughs) Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. Your Word is powerful. Your Word is alive. It is sharper than anything that could pierce our flesh and instead pierces all the way down to our soul. Lord, may we be pricked this morning as if given a shot for medication by Your Word. And may it be and bring healing to our souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Relationships are often hard to define, aren't they? Or maybe you've forgotten. You know, being an adult, uh, out of the dating game, so to speak, one forgets how awkward at times it can become to be in a relationship with someone and not be able to define that properly. Does anybody remember those days? You know, somebody says, "Well, what are you? I mean, you know, what's going on between you two? You know." And you say, oh, you know, we're talking. I think that's the big thing now. We're talking. You know, we're talking. That's what I hear, at least, when I'm cruising the halls at Calhoun. We're talking, you know, right now. I mean, that's, that's what we're doing. I ask someone else who's dating, and they say, hey, we're talking, you know. Uh, well, what does that mean? I mean, I talk to a lot of people. Uh, or we're hanging out right now. Okay. All right, you hang out with a lot of people. We're hanging out right now, aren't we? Yeah, so what is the, you know, what is the distinction? What is the difference here? In relationship. <laughs> and oftentimes it can be hard to define. You know, so it's even harder to find among your friends. You, know, you say to one friend, you know, I feel like he's my best friend. But you really have a couple of best friends, right? But technically the grammar isn't right then if that's your one best friend. He's not obviously the best. He's co-equal with some others. So it gets hairy you know, at times when we begin to try to define relationships. Relationships themselves in and of themselves, as you found out, are also difficult and very complex. You know what? So is God. (laughs) So is God. That's why in the Bible we have so many pictures, portraits, images of who God is. I mean, it would take us the rest of our time together today to begin to go down through the list of all the different names, all the different images, all the different portraits, all the different nuances of who God is within the Bible. And yet, uh, some of you know Billy Coppage. His dad, Alan Coppage, has done us a great service in the scholarly world of defining and boiling down and kind of distilling, if you will, uh, eight main roles of God in the Bible. The first one is creator. Judge. Third, king. Also, redeemer. Also, shepherd. He's also... uh, I got my cheat sheet. He's also our father, isn't he? 
We often talk about God as our Father. We pray typically to the Father following the prayer of Jesus. Also, our uh, what you could call rescuer or redeemer. Uh, he's also our priest. He's also the reconciler. And when you boil down these eight, really you have three images even kind of more distilled than that, and that is a legal image. We've looked at this before where God cancels, Paul even is talking about this here, He cancels our debt. That's a legal thing. In other words, He says, hey, look, you've got a bunch of debt, which most Americans do. And He says, look, it's done. It's paid for. Don't worry about it. Don't think about it again. It's over. You're at a sum of zero. That's something legal. You know, That's not something personal. That's something that kind of by the keyboard, so to speak, you delete it and it's no longer. That's something legal. Not only that, though, he's also pictured in the Bible as familial, which is kind of a technical term, just simply meaning family. Father, again, son. We just For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Not only this, he talks about the church as being a family. Brothers and sisters. Even further than that, not only legally... Not only familially or family oriented, but also marriage. Kind of old term, nuptial. You ever heard of that one? That's a new one. Marriage. God also is seen as as the husband in this relationship. So in other words, if relationships are hard to define, then obviously our relationship with God is also going to be hard to define. It's not going to be some kind of one easy answer Rather, it's multifaceted. There are several portraits within the Bible of who He is. He's not just a distant king who is sovereign over a land. Rather, He's also a father that takes care of His children. He's not only the judge who has to sentence people, but He's also our Redeemer who rescues people. So you see how the interplay between these different portraits makes one large, holistic view of God amazing, (laughs) wonderful, awesome, in the true sense of the term, all-some, that you're struck with all, that you're overwhelmed at who He is. You know, that's one of the first things you do in your praying is be overwhelmed at who God is. That's a great place to start praying. It's just say, Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth? How glorious You are. How wonderful and above us You are. And isn't He? And yet He is the gentleman we're told in the Bible in our relationship. We are always the female. We're always the receiver of His blessings. The receiver of of salvation, we're never the initiator. He's always first. He's always the one opening the door to salvation. Protecting us from evil. We are the female in this relationship. We are the bride of Christ. Isn't that what Paul just said? He is the head of the, this body. So He's the center peace. He's what is seen. We are the ones who are the responders. And that's why we must respond to His grace. That is why we must receive His 
grace and His salvation. And isn't that what we've been talking about here the past few weeks? We've been talking about atonement. We're in a series right now on atonement all the way to Pentecost. Where we talk about the Holy Spirit and His application of God's atonement in our life. Now what does atonement mean? Simply, at one God makes us one with Himself. He does that. He's the one who makes that possible. He's the one who makes it uh, available to us to receive, to respond to. And so what we've done is we've actually looked at the need for atonement. Why do we even need atonement? And we've seen the fall. And how far we have fallen in our natural state to our own devices. We're turned inward. We're selfish. We're Gollum. It's all mine. Even our physical bodies are bent toward ourselves naturally. And yet, you know, that's why you don't have to teach a kid to lie. No one has to teach him that. No one has to teach him to say, mine. No, that's our natural state. And yet God has done something about our natural state. He's taken on our natural state. And He's become victorious. He is the victor. Or as you can say in Latin, He's Christus Victor. Because we're already celebrating a Spanish day today, right? Our Spanish word, Cinco de Mayo. Might as well throw in some Latin. I figured you would be comfortable with that. So Christus Victor is Christ our victor. He's the one who has won our redemption. He has ransomed us. But where does this show up in the Bible? Think about it. Think about the fact that He has ransomed us. What does that term even mean? It means delivered us. He has rescued us. He has redeemed us. Just like you redeem points on your credit card. Except it cost Him something way more than just transactional. You see, if this was all legal, never moving into family or marriage, which are much more personal terms... You know, the guy you talk to on the credit card company, that's not a very personal relationship. Your family is. Your marriage is the most personal relationship, human-wise, that you can possibly have on this earth. Sharing your body with someone. Being one with someone. That's the most intimate human relationship one can have. And that's the picture that God has for us to define our relationship. He doesn't leave us guessing on Facebook. I don't really know where we're at. Or for our friends, I'm not sure. I think we're just still kind of hanging out. No, He wants to be one with us. One in heart, one in spirit. The Holy Spirit. This is what His atonement has accomplished. This is what His victory is about. So think with me, where else does God deliver? Where else does God redeem? Well, think of the, think of the Exodus. That's one of the main events, so to speak. Just like you have main events at wrestling matches, this is one of the main events in the Old Testament. I mean, if you miss the Exodus, you've missed a major component of everything else that the Old Testament is going to talk about. And refer back to. What does God do? They are enslaved. Again, it goes back to the matrix. Uh, You are a slave, Neo. Not in a world where you can touch, taste, or see. It's not a a prison 
that is on the outside, right? You're saying, you're saying, Marshall, I'm not a slave. No, I'm not. Well, you're a slave in your mind. You're a slave to sin. You're a slave to the slave driver who is Satan. As I said before, I never like to picture someone as a child of the devil. And yet John does. He says, you lie because your father is the liar. You act like him. You do what he says. You are a slave in your natural state. And you must be delivered. You must be freed from this slavery. It's a slavery that you say, I want to love that person. I want to give. <laughs> like I was telling the children. And yet, I find myself doing this. It's, it's mine. This is my heart. This is my life. I'll do what I want to with it. It's mine. And we're three years old again. Back in our natural default position. And God says, I can do something about that. I have freed you. The door is wide open if you'll only turn around to the light. And we stay cooped up in our own prisons of addiction, prisons of our sin, and we don't realize the freedom that is in Christ. Have you not noticed the repetition here with Paul? In reading his epistles, one of the things that is repeated most is, in Christ, in Him. That's where our section ended today. In Him, in Christ Jesus. Also think of Hosea. I mean, what, what an interesting prophet. He's told to go and marry someone who's promiscuous, who's going to break his heart, who was a prostitute and would, who would not remain faithful. And that's quite a calling. Some people are called to go to Africa. Some people are called to go to Indonesia. Not many of us are called to go and marry a promiscuous woman whose heart wanders to other men. And this is what Hosea has to do. He's called to do. To love Gomer, which is her name, which is odd. Yes, it's okay to chuckle if you want. I often do when I read it again. Gomer. Their kids' names are even worse. No mercy. Not my people. That's two of his kids' names. You think you thought up an interesting name? What about not my people? Not my people, stop doing that. No mercy, stop doing that. This is what God tells them to name their children because He's not going to show mercy any longer for their sin. They have become not His people because of their sin. Hosea is very strong in his terminology. He says, you are whoring around on God. Just like Gomer was whoring around on Him. You're cheating on God. If we are in a marriage, this is not just some legal contract. Instead, it's a marriage. We are not to cheat on God. We are not to be promiscuous. Mine, this is my life. This is my way. But instead, we are to be one with God. And so in Hosea, Hosea lives out 
what our life has looked like in the past. What it was before the Holy Spirit came. Because now that the Spirit has come, there is real power, not just to be forgiven of your sins, but to be freed from your sin. To be freed from your prison, from your bondage, from your slavery. That's good news. Not just forgiveness legally, but I can be faithful to God. He calls us to faith, does He not? Isn't that what Paul says right here? If indeed, all this is yours, if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast. God is not playing a trick on us where He's got a carrot out and He's on our back and we're just constantly trying to bite it and we're never going to get the carrot and He's just leading us around the track as some dumb donkey. For lack of a better term. No. 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 God's not playing a game with us. We can be one with God. We can walk with God. We can please God. Think about that. You don't have to have this giant cloud of guilt, shame, resting on you all the time. No, you are freed in Christ. And through the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work in your life, He can make you holy. Is that not what... Again, I'm just reading the Bible. In order, notice verse 22, why did He do all of this? Why in His own body did He take on death, bleed out for us? Why? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Holy. Blameless. What is blameless? Blameless is the difference in my two-year-old Bo, or as I call him, Big Bob, among other things, running through the church and knocking over the communion table. And we all laugh and, you know, everybody gets their jolly off of that. And Christopher jumping up, running through the church and knocking over the communion table. Christopher is not blameless if he got up and ran and knocked over, you know, just because he was wanting to have a good time. My two-year-old, we could kind of nod our head and say, you know what, that's exactly what two-year-olds do. God wants us to be blameless. That doesn't mean everything we ever do will be perfect. But it means in my heart, as I'm following God, I am not to blame. I don't have any kind of blame on me. I'm not playing a secret life over to the side. I'm not keeping a little bit for myself, but instead I wholeheartedly love my wife. Even though I fall short, I'm not directly doing something to compromise our relationship. Isn't this a marriage with God? We are His bride. He wa- Revelation again. He's going to present us holy and blameless. And without holiness, no one will see God. So it must be possible. By the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so that word holy is not some kind of secondary term here in the Bible. It is key. He is our Holy Father. 
So, He's ransomed us. He's bought us back. You remember the story in Hosea? She goes off, is found in the arms of other lovers, is eventually enslaved to one of them. And he goes and buys back his wife. She's become a prostitute, a sex slave. And he goes and buys her back to show that that's exactly what God has done. God has bought, even when we ran away from Him, even when we spit in His face, even when we hate Him and don't like His way, He bought us back. Thank God, praise be to God, that He brought and bought me back. Not only that, but the victim here who is Jesus, on the cross, He is, as Revelation said, the Lamb. The Lamb was the victim for sin, right? In the Old Testament. The victim becomes the victor. That's the beauty here, right? The ashes, from the ashes, comes beauty. From the cross, a symbol of death, the worst kind of death, that a person could have. I mean, oftentimes I'll, I'll stop somebody who's wearing a cross and say, you know, that's like wearing an electric chair around your neck. How odd would that be? That is a tool of death. That's the only thing the cross is good for, is for killing people. And yet, from a tool of death, from a tool of destruction and mutilation, comes life and healing. Comes salvation. From someone's blood poured out, we can be redeemed. We can be saved from our sins. Cleansed from our unrighteousness. The cross. That's why Paul says, I preach the cross of Christ. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In this tool of death and by it we have life if we meet our own cross we have life in Christ we too have to die to ourselves there's no way to keep yourself and be a Christian it's impossible you must give your life away there's no way to be a good husband and not give yourself away there's no way to be a good parent and not give yourself away, or friend, or co-worker, or work, you name it. Sacrifice, giving, is God's way. We don't like that naturally. But supernaturally, by the Spirit, we can be a giver. We can be, as Romans 12 says, a living dead person. Sacrifice. A living sacrifice. We were alienated. We were hostile in mind, Paul says. And God made us one with Him through Jesus' very body. Again, Christianity is not a concept. It's not a thought. It's not a philosophy of life to be believed in in your head. Instead, there is a real person to be dealt with. 
Jesus. He's not some kind of idea that's floating around in heaven or some kind of heavenly idea, but rather He is a person with a real body that shed His real blood and only in His body is there salvation. And Paul says in chapter 2 as we read, He has now disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Victorious. He has become the victor, the conqueror of evil. And how did He do it? By nonviolence. A violent way to die, He did. But He saved the world without raising a sword, a knife, or an AR-15. He gave. He gave of Himself. And He became victorious. It's kind of odd, but if you want to overcome sin in your life, give up. Stop trying to do it yourself. It will not work. You cannot do it on your own. You must give up. You must surrender. Put up the white flag. Lay down your arms. And surrender. It's the only way. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. He's redeemed us. Do you know that? Have you experienced His redemption? Or are you still playing around with sin? Are you still playing around with a secret life? He can make you one. You know what pure you know Bible calls us to be pure pure hearts pure just means 100%. When you say when you see a bag of sugar that says pure sugar that means there's not salt in there. It's 100% sugar. Are you 100% God's? Really? We like to think we are. We like to think God is on our side and we've got Him over here in this compartment of our life. No, no, no. He doesn't fit in a compartment. He's a person. He's not an idea. Ideas can be compartmentalized. A person cannot. Haven't you realized that in your marriage? Yeah. You can't label and categorize and put up on a shelf people. Nor can you Jesus Christ. What have you done with Jesus Christ? What have you done with Jesus? Look what He's done for you. Do you know that? Have you experienced it in your heart? You know, yeah, He's died for the whole world, right? What about for you? Do you know that? You can. Today, this hour, this minute, this altar is open for you to come to God. This is a place where you can meet God this morning. If He's, if He's speaking to your heart by the Holy Spirit, do not throw Him off again. You're not in control of your life. You don't make these opportunities. You don't designate these meetings. Do you know His redemption? He's bought us back. Some of us are still in the prison and the door is wide open. We were once alienated. We were once dead. And He has made us alive in Jesus Christ. Do you know how good of a Father He is? 
Do you know how good of a husband he is? He is the groom. We are the bride. He's won us back. He's the one who's victorious. Do you have victory today? That's the question I want to leave you with. Do you have victory from this victor? He's won it. Jesus, the old song says, paid it all. All to Him I owe. Amen.